On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World wherever you get your podcasts. Taoiseach then, dear friends, I'm grateful to the Labour Party, its leader, Eamon Gilmore, and the Parliamentary Party, who nominated me for this position. Ten years ago this year, Michael D. Higgins was elected President of Ireland. And of course, I am particularly grateful to the more than million people who have said that I am acceptable to them as the ninth President of Ireland. Well, today on the Indo-Daily, we look back at that decade and the man behind the presidency, poet and politician. The mandate I have received and for which I will seek with heart and head to implement over the next seven years had its four pillars. An inclusive citizenship, which is about equality and participation and respect. I'm Siobhan Maguire and joining me today are Andrea Smith, Features writer at the Irish Independent. I'm a huge fan of Michael D. Higgins. I mean, I think from octogenarians down to young children in school, he appeals to absolutely everybody. And I don't think we've ever had a president with such resonance. And Fionnán Sheehan, Ireland editor at the Irish Independent. He sees himself as leading an intellectual conversation and that has fallen at times between populism and philosophy. Creative and excellent in everything we Irish do making an Irishness to be proud of in a real republic. Andrea Smith, feature writer for the Irish Independent. Why do we love Michael D so much? Siobhan, I think we love him because he represents the very best of us. You know, he's intelligent, he's warm, inclusive, sophisticated, all of those things that we'd like to think that we are. So we know that he represents us to other people as we would like to see ourselves being being represented. Now, he's also a very, very warm and inclusive man. There's a great element of fun about Michael D. Remember, I have a period before I began writing for Hot Press, for example, yeah. in 1982. I would have been, when I was younger, more a Rolling Stones person than a Beatles person. Really? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that divided, that, that, that told that you a lot about <laughs> the kind of... Both about my life and my inclinations, I suppose. And also, I think he's very small in stature, but he's giant in terms of personality. So I think he doesn't intimidate us the way some other presidents may have, you know, with their, like he has the intellectual gravitas, but he also has that likability, that warmth, the family fun and the dogs, Siobhan, the dogs, you know. Let's talk about the dogs. Let's talk about the dogs. I mean, as a dog lover, they are a huge attraction to, for me, you know, and I think that when you see these heads of state and, you know, presidents from other countries visiting them and the dogs are, ro- are roaming around and everybody loves them, they just bring such 
a warm glow. And the dogs, by the way, are very popular. In fact, there was a group in today, one of the many groups that come in. There was a group in today to watch the credential ceremony from Lochray ICA. And as I had all said goodbye to them, they said, but we haven't seen the dogs yet. I think we were all devastated when Shoda died. Well, this is it. A nation mourned. Yeah. Didn't we? And, uh, you know, and it's it's the breed of the dog as well, because, you know, they're so big. There's there's no hiding that dog behind yeah. the, the sofa. You know? <laughs> but even if you're in the Phoenix Park, you can often see the dogs. You know what I mean? You can see them in the garden and and they've got amazing names as well, like Brode and Mishnock. Mishnock being the new puppy. And that means courage, you know, and it's just so on brand for Michael D, isn't it? You know, it's fantastic because we get so preoccupied with American presidents when they have their doggies in yeah, there. You yeah, know, we're yeah. very disappointed uh, with Trump uh, for many things, but he, he kind of <laughs> bro- broke the tradition of having the, the pet dog in, in the Absolutely. White House. But, and so now we kind of, we, we look to Michael D and his doggies for that kind of little comfort blanket effect, I yeah. think. And also, I mean, there's so much animal cruelty going on that I think to see somebody in the highest office you know, being so respectful and inclusive around animals, I think it gives a really good message to young people as well, you know, about... And and that's what I think is one of the huge attractions uh, of Michael D is that he's 80 years old and students love him. You know, young people love Michael D. And I think it's because he understands what it's like to be a student and a student coming from maybe a background that wasn't necessarily a, a background where parents had a third level education or even a second level education, as he said before himself. So he understands the challenges of starting college. He understands, you know, what it's like to live away from home because he wasn't raised with his family, you know, because he, with his immediate family, because of his father's illness, he went to live with his aunt and uncle on a farm, a different county. You know, himself and his brother were only four and five when that happened. And he's always dealt with it with such dignity. You know, he speaks so lovingly about his parents. And I just think that he is a wonderful family man. And also Sabina, she's a huge part of it as well, because she isn't just the, you know, the person in the background. I mean, I think with previous presidents, we may not have known their spouses as much, you know. But Sabina is a huge personality in her in her own right. And she's just as warm and inclusive. And you see her putting her arm around like the queen where maybe, you know, that might be the thing that you're meant to do. But nobody cares what they do. And can we can we talk a little bit about the the personal side of of the family because they are an interesting couple and you know a very artsy couple and yeah, yeah. obviously met um, you know in in their art circle. Sabina and I uh, are together now uh, for a very long time. We're married thirty eight years. Congratulations. Thank you. But the fact what is, Sabina brought into my life is inestimable. She changed my life. And in so many ways, but uh, uh, and introduced me to such a great friend, our friends in the, the in the theatre and the arts and the performance. Well, with an Irish independent connection, you know that of course they met in Mary Kenny's flat at a party. So that's how they met, you know. And she was an actress, of course. And you know, and I think you know with. With Michael being the the Minister for Arts eventually, you know, it's just that there's all of that culture as well, isn't there? And the poetry. And then they went on to have a family. And we have Alice Mary doing wonderful things in the Shannet as well. So, you know, I just think they're a lovely, lovely family. We could all see ourselves in that family. 
maybe not living up in, in the Aris, of course, you know, but there's definitely such a warm kind of inclusive family vibe from from Michael and Sabina, I think. You're a proper fan, Andrea, yeah, aren't you? Huge fan. I think, you know, that I loved Mary Robinson, I loved Mary McAleese, and they had very, very important messages. But I was slightly in awe of them. And it's not that I'm not in awe of Michael D, but I also think that I love him, you know, and I think we all do. There's a huge warmth. I mean, I think it'll be a very sad day when he is no longer our president. But Siobhan, have you bought your Michael D. Higgins tea cosy for Christmas? Because there are now Christmas decorations on Etsy. And I think that's, you go into students' houses and flats and you see that they actually all have the tea cosies. It's a huge business. And also the fact that he's called Miggledy. You know the nickname that that child inadvertently coined because um, some primary school teacher had asked her 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 class about the, the name of the president of Ireland and the child wrote Miggledy Higgins. It was tweeted and that has stuck and it's just so cute and it's so appropriate as well, you know. we You know, and I'd say he finds that hilarious as well. I'd say there's a few Michael D tea cosies up in the Auris as well. I would imagine so, yeah. And now that you mention them, uh, I'm actually aware of so many friends' uh, houses who, who have them. They don't use them now for, for the purpose of keeping the, the pot of tea warm, Andrea. They, this is decorative, you know, yeah. this is pride of place on a shelf. Well, I saw one with a, a Merry Christmas on the front that looked like you could put it on top of your Christmas tree. So wouldn't that be the answer now? Michael D on top of the Christmas tree. Who needs the Christmas fairy? We have Michael D. Fiannan Sheehan, Ireland editor, The Irish Independent. Ten years of Michael D. Higgins. Has he done his bit for the presidency? Yeah, if you if you take the context of the time in which he has served, we have seen the, the, the rise of populism uh, in once respected democracies. We, we have seen a, a, a disregard for, for political systems. During that time, Michael E. Higgins has shown that you, you can actually occupy high office and elevate it in, in terms of, of the, the thinking that people have about it. He is held with great affection, affinity and admiration by the vast majority uh, of, of the people. Uh, he knows it. Maybe it's no harm in the era of Trump and Brexit to actually have pride in somebody who is the, the, uh, the state's first citizen. And there's no doubting his popularity. I mean, that you know, the number of people who voted for him in both elections. Yeah, and what's significant there that he he was a, a, a he did break ground in terms of being the first non-Fianna Fáil candidate uh, to top the poll in in elections. But he did break the ground in in terms of being a candidate in his in his first presidency, who was kind of sitting there and people weren't initially taking seriously. But as the other contenders fell away, uh, he was there. His his legacy, uh, his record, and his experience did did stand to him. He had been in public life for so long that that the public knew uh, what they were dealing with. And then the second time around, you'd have to say, you know, he, he romped home. But there was an element of he was the, although he ran as an independent, he was effectively the, the Labour Party candidate. The other main political parties uh, at the time didn't run against him. 
Uh, obviously Sinn Féin were on their, on their own candidate but they were the political system was comfortable with him taking a second seven years so yeah on the one hand he's, he's outspoken but he's not as rebellious as people would like to think sometimes and you might actually remind us of those two uh, elections because 2011 was really you know get the popcorn out, sit back and enjoy because it was a shambles. Yeah, it was such a, an enormous bloodbath. So you were in the wake of the, the, the transformative uh, at, at the time, by those standards, the, the general election of, of 2011. And throughout that year, Michael D went into to the race. He won the Labour Party nomination. Let's remember he was challenged for it. Kathleen O'Mara and Fergus Finlay were also going for it. He was quite early uh, in the race. Fianna Fáil, didn't really want to run a candidate, went through a saga with, with Gay Byrne, ultimately didn't run a candidate. Uh, Fine Gael, as the largest party in the country at that point in time, thought they had a, this was theirs to lose. Uh, they ultimately did lose quite quite dramatically. They had a really hotly contested uh, ticket, ultimately picked Gay Mitchell, who, who fell away quite strongly. And then you had Martin McGuinness running for, for Sinn Féin, and this was Sinn Féin trying to establish its, itself as, as a force, and that ended up being about uh, Martin McGuinness and the legacy of the Troubles. And then you had a series of, of independents uh, running. Mary Davis was a, an early front-runner, seemed to be very much kind of a, an establishment type of figure, a uh, positive legacy of, of the Special Olympics, but but her her record in terms of, of number of boards that, that she served on and kind of being a quango queen that, that came back uh, against her. Dana Rosemary Scannon, a number of, of controversies uh, there. And she was, she was quite a divisive figure in, in her own right from her from her previous involvement uh, in politics. David Norris was in the summer the, the, the favourite to, to take the office, but his, his campaign collapsed. Uh, he withdrew, he came back in, he was never really a contender again. So it, it fell to Sean Gallagher, former dragon in the dragon's den, uh, coming forth you know, with, with his inspirational speaking about lifting people and the power of enterprise and coming together and so on and so forth at a time when the country was economically on the floor. And he became the front runner, but ultimately at, at the final hurdle, controversies about about his past involvement, particularly with, with Fianna Fáil, um, and fundraising came back to haunt him. So Michael D stayed the course. He was the only one in that campaign who wasn't involved in a major controversy and he was the one uh, who who ultimately uh, won out as a result, topped the poll and then romped home uh, on on transfers. But that was very much, a, it was a, a bloodbath uh, in, its, in its own right. And that's right, Fionnán. And in his first election, I think he had uh, over a million uh, first preference votes. And then you, but he hadn't he also said that he wasn't going to run for a second term. And then fast forward to 2018 and we have Michael D. Higgins uh, in the running again. And this time uh, coming out with the largest uh, personal mandate of 822,566 first preference votes. Yeah, and, and the field was very much left to him. Uh, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, the Labour Party didn't run anybody. Sinn Féin ran uh, Leonie Rieda, whose, whose campaign never never really uh, took off. Joan Freeman, an independent senator, ran as well. No major no major campaign there. And then we had uh, the collection of, of dragons uh, running against him. Gavin Duffy campaign never went anywhere uh, at all. Sean Gallagher running again. This time he didn't catch on. And it fell to, to 
Peter Casey, the, the rather outspoken businessman who became involved in a number of controversial statements over the course of the campaign, and he became the main challenger. But really, he wasn't a challenger at all. Michael Lee getting over almost fifty six percent, so well over half uh, of the of the first preference vote. So that get, did give him an overwhelming mandate, which he does occasionally refer to uh, in saying the people gave him a mandate to serve for for the next seven years and knew exactly what they were voting for. There was no surprises at that point. He had been in office. For for the, for the previous uh, seven years. So it was uh, a bit of a cakewalk that, that second time around. And yet, I suppose the only surprise about that, that campaign was that people ran even though they knew what happened to presidential election candidates and yet, for some bizarre reason, decided they had what it took to be the first citizen. And, and Michael e. Higgins has shown it takes more than just being somebody who has appeared on television a couple of times um, to actually be the first president of Ireland. As a, as a country ambassador, Fiona, you know, it's not a, a bad bet to have uh, Michael D um, heading over to meet with whomever. Yeah, so he went on the, the reciprocal visit to the, who had the Queen's visit in, in 2011, uh, the historic uh, visit visit to Ireland, Aukdaran, uh, Agazakarda and, and all that. And uh, Michael D. Higgins went on the reciprocal visit then to, to London. That was historic in its own right. And, and all went down perfectly well. And he, he stayed uh, at, at Windsor Castle and Michael and Liz got on, got on perfectly well. The mutual respect, friendship and cooperation which exists between our two countries, our two peoples. That benign reality was brought into sharp relief by the historic visit of Queen Elizabeth to Ireland three years ago. Her Majesty's visit eloquently expressed how far we have come in understanding and respecting our differences. There is that sense about Michael D that he is, you know, a scholar and an intellect. Um, and he has that kind of layer of credibility about him that if he says something, you are kind of going to sit up and, and take notice, aren't you? Yeah, he doesn't say things lightly. He, he a big part of, of his, his working day uh, is working on speeches. And he has over over the period given, you know, some some substantial speeches. Sometimes you do feel he's an orator in search of an audience, that he will say things uh, about society or, or the, the economy or, or social justice. And people will nod in agreement and go, yeah, that, that's all very well. But he's not exactly influencing public policy as a result. And he will argue himself, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying what the government should do. I'm just saying we need to spend more money on housing, as he did, uh, as he was saying uh, five years ago when he was uh, exhorting the government to open up the, the purse strings. I think, too, that we must realise that if you regard shelter, home, as important and as something that should be universally provided, you then have, in fact, to decide that you cannot leave it to the speculative forces of the marketplace. So he'll argue that he knows exactly where, where the line is, that he is entitled to express his, his views uh, on, on society, on what is impacting people, and he makes a, a, a big deal of going out and meeting as many people as possible so that he's, he's aware uh, of what their issues uh, are. Uh, and yet, at the same time, he's saying he's he's not uh, trying to, to step on the toes of the government and tell them them what to do. He also takes his legislative role extremely seriously. Obviously, uh, like all presidents, he he meets with the the Taoiseach once about every two months to go through the legislative letter program. 
nonetheless, he's only, uh, to my recollection, only called the Council of State once to consider a, a, a piece uh, of legislation that was the, the protection of life in maternity bill that was the, the original um, limited abortion legislation that was introduced back in 2013-2014 preceding uh, the abortion uh, re- referendum. So he hasn't been somebody who, you know, at times there have been protests outside Oris and Uchtron calling on him not to, to sign legislation. He's not influenced by that. He's, he's basically saying his job is to scrutinise legislation, decide is it constitutional, if it's not, refer it on, refer it on to the, the Supreme Court. So he, he knows what his role is there as a result of being a, a senator, a TD, a cabinet minister, and a, a leading member of, of a party over the course of 40 years. And of course, more recently, we we had um, his his decision not to attend the commemoration in uh, Northern Ireland. He's uh, another few years left in his term, uh, Fionnán. Can you see him shaking the system up a wee bit? You have to say, well, he is held in, in very uh, high regard that he hasn't really shaken up the system, rocked it to its core. He's been involved in a, in a couple of controversies over the course uh, of the 10 years. Some of the statements that he he has made, uh, people have said he's, he's straying into to policy formulation. He has said, uh, I'm, I'm not. A controversy around departure of, of staff uh, with within the the RS itself, particularly his his own advisory team, and some scrutiny of that. Bit of a, a lack of, of transparency there. Uh, a statement where he called the dictator Fidel Castro one of the great leaders um, of 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 our time. That didn't go down particularly well in in certain quarters. He said, "No, no, hang on. This is a guy who led a, a, a dictatorship uh, for the best part of, of half a century and trampled on on civil rights." But again, Michael Lee wasn't wasn't bothered uh, by that. And now this latest uh, issue where you, you saw him declining an invitation to attend a a, a service marking which whether that's commemorating or celebrating 100 years of the formation of Northern Ireland. And in that case, you saw Michael D, the academic president uh, coming out, the scholar, the intellectual, coming out quite firmly with, this is why I have uh, I have come to this opinion that I should not attend this event. And he also pointed to his mandate. He said the people elect an in, elected an intellectual president and that's what they've got. So he is. He can be quite firm in terms of of the views that that uh, that he will take, even if if they are if, even if they can be uh, controversial. The remainder of his presidency, we will we will probably look back at it and go, well, what exactly was the core message of it? Perhaps it is just he wants to lead an intellectual conversation to make people think more about politics, uh, society, ideology. Uh, philosophy, Ireland's place in Europe and the world and look beyond just uh, what's happening at the end of our garden. If, if that's what he, set, he is setting out to achieve as, lead, as a leader of that com- conversation, well, so be it. I suppose the historians will look back and see uh, whether that, that did succeed in uh, broadening people's mindsets. I'm Siobhan Maguire and today's episode was presented by myself, produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Tabitha Monaghan, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. 
Archive clips with thanks to Saturday with Cormac O'Hara on RT Radio 1, The Last Word on Today FM, The Late Late Show on RT 1, The Right Hook on News Talk and Aris Anubtharon. You can listen to the Indo Daily wherever you get your podcasts. 